Greetings. Hello, Jody. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. Welcome, everyone, to our Her Many Voices Lunch and Learn event. And we're going to learn today um, some details about um, the Adelante Foundation. And we're very, very excited for you to be here, Jody. Um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, perhaps before we introduce the foundation. Sure. Um, yeah, I've been working in the international development space for over 15 years. I've worked with government contractors and foundations and nonprofits in a variety of different uh, humanitarian efforts, global health, education, uh, anti-corruption, climate finance, uh, clean energy solutions, um, and, and microfinance. Great. Awesome. And then um, Adelante Foundation is primarily working in Honduras. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about that, as well as how it was founded. Sure. Yeah. And in clarification, we work solely in Honduras. Uh, the foundation was launched um, shortly after Hurricane Mitch uh, in 1999. Uh, the devastation to the region was was horrific, and the founder had spent his growing up years in Honduras. And although he wasn't currently living there, um, he got in touch with friends that were on the ground and said, look, I want to help. It looks like there's a lot of disaster relief happening. What are the long term potential strategies that we can that we can do? And the more he learned um, by connecting with those people on the ground, uh, the more and the more he learned about just different types of development solutions, the more he realized that microfinance was one of the most powerful ways to enable communities to recover from those kinds of climate impacts. Microfinance is so important. It's really impactful. Um, so that is amazing. You know, I want to point out for our listeners, because her many voices, um, we have a very similar origin story. Uh, our founder, Alicia Fall, was inspired to start this nonprofit after the earthquake in Haiti in 2012. Um, so it's a very similar thing. Um, isn't that it's amazing that your um, you know, that people are so inspired when these things happen and then so much good will come afterwards, right? It's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of great work happening in the immediate aftermath. I think what happens is after that first few months or first year or two, there's still so much that um, deserves and needs attention. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the case of Her Many Voices, I know Alicia went to Haiti many times and had, has partners there and they actually built schools and literally did so much work there on the ground. Um, can you share more about kind of the beginnings of the organization? Sure. It was before my time. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. We, when we first started doing the work, we really did a lot more focus on um, microfinance that occurred in solidarity, small group loans. Um, we found that that um, we were we we also I don't I'm not sure if you're familiar with Grameen Foundation, 
or Grameen Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were Mohammed Yunus who had founded it in Bangladesh was one. Um, he received a Nobel Peace Prize laureate for um, his work. And I think that microfinance really was considered this panacea to poverty at the time. Um, but we did, we were a Grameen Bank replicator. Um, and so we, we did the majority of our loans at the time in um, solidarity group loans, meaning that in groups of five to eight, women would be responsible for one another's repayments if one of them defaulted, um, which was a very, you know, it was a great way to start. We have found that over the last five years plus, we've seen a lot more of a shift to individual loans. And I think that's um, for a few different reasons that I'm happy to go into later, but essentially, especially in um, less rural areas, women who don't have a rapport with one another, um, that that model isn't quite as effective. Oh yeah, that's fascinating. Of course, you'll have to consider the culture of the place and the people uh, to make that happen. Yes, I know Muhammad Yunus has really given given credit for starting the whole microfinance revolution. And um, that's amazing. It also is very much usually in most places and including with you in Honduras, really specifically for women. Um, why is that? Um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, at least in the developing country context, uh, women are known statistically to be better stewards of funding, um, reinvesting profits into their families than their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. It's one of those so things where the that, women are... you know, they're tied okay. into everything, right? They're tied into education and they're tied into, like, like you said, family, food. Um, and they're, and I think that people kind of, it's pretty well known. And a lot of people say this, that, you know, investing in women is the way to really impact the future in the, in the greatest way possible. So, yeah, we talked about earlier, um, when you and I were prepping for this call, we talked a little bit about how, um, all these other areas are all tied together. Education is tied to sustainability of the planet, which is tied to health, human health and food and agriculture. Um, But a really impactful point was that the microfinance, if you can solve that side of it, that affects, that does affect all those other areas. I think that's a really important point. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The nexus between um, other areas is, is really powerful. I mean, Although microfinance not, may not be quite the panacea that people had hoped when it had initially rolled out, it definitely is a powerful poverty reduction tool. Um, but in the process of making sure that women have access to finances and financial literacy, um, you find that these other conditions related to poverty naturally improve um, access to education for their children, improved health conditions increased resiliency to climate impacts and external shocks, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. So for you personally, what, why are you doing this work? Do you have an, a something, an experience, a life experience that wanted you to do this kind of thing? Yeah, I, I lost my father when I was a teen. And I think that realizing young that life is short, I, I really wanted to do something meaningful with it. I elected to go to Cairo for a year to study abroad and college. And 
to see poverty on that scale was really mind blowing. Um, it inspired me to really understand the root causes of poverty. And so um, after returning to the US, I was trying to consume as much as I could as it related to food security and poverty reduction. And um, I went on to get a graduate degree in international development. And although my interest at the time was more related to food and health, um, I started taking courses um, on economic development. And um, the more I learned about microfinance, uh, the, the more excited I got about that, that solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how impactful it is in all the other areas. Um, so was there someone you met there? Is there some, uh, you know, was there an experience of like seeing something in particular? Could you share more about that? I think that's really, those stories are so helpful to understand, you know, the whole Yeah. Topic. So I, 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 the program that I was doing for study abroad, it was, we had the, the, um, option to, to live in the dorms. And it just didn't feel right to me. I was like, if I'm going to live here, I want to live amongst the people. Um, and then that came with a whole host of, well, we need to make sure you're in a safe. <laughs> um, needless to say, that was back in the later 90s. And it was one of those situations where um, I, I, you know, we, I found some other people in the program that wanted to do the same. And, uh, you know, walking almost a mile to school every day, I had to wear what the locals were wearing. I had to, I mean, the, but the population in Cairo is, is quite dense. And I mean, everywhere you were bumping into people who, um, you know, and I was going to school with people who, who had the um, privilege, you know, they were from all over, a lot of them from the Middle East. But I felt that there's a big disconnect between um, the wealthy people who were able to attend that school and then everything else that I was doing in, in my daily going to the grocery store, getting, uh, you know, the, my landlord, et cetera. And um, the, just the level of poverty. I mean, I, I met a lot of wonderful people um, and I had to I had to learn some things the hard way, too. You know, I, I would would. Um, you know, kind of wash my hair in the mornings because it was so hot. Um, but, uh, and also like, oh, it makes my hair look darker. I didn't feel comfortable wearing the hijab. I just felt like if I didn't share that religious um, association that that wasn't an appropriate thing for me. I know that some people chose to do that. Um, but I also didn't realize that when you walk out with wet hair, that it implies that you've just engaged in some untoward behaviors that oh my goodness. <laughs> and, you, and it's not part of our culture so how would you know yeah yeah so needless to say <laughs> there were things oh my like gosh. that <laughs> and how did you find out someone at school told you eventually I had a roommate who was from Jordan and so one day we were we were walking to school together and and he had overheard them them talking and he didn't realize I guess that wasn't yeah. the thing or at least um, in his Jordanian experience, but he was, he was like, Oh my gosh, they think you're, he told you, right. It's so, it's so great that he told you. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued with this idea that, um, that you literally went to school with all different kinds of people. And a lot of people from that part of the world were still your socioeconomic class. Right. But there were still this, these uber wealthy people who were at school with you and you just, you noticed like how your lives were different. Yeah. I felt also, like I identified more with the people in my community than I did with the students at the school. Oh, most of the students were wealthy students. 
Yeah, I, I'd say like 90% of the students were from um, different Middle Eastern countries that could afford to go to that school, whereas the there was, you know, maybe like two dozen international students that were from the US, yeah. or I shouldn't say international, two, two dozen like study abroad students who were maybe yeah. more a reflection of my socioeconomic background, but yeah, yeah. And not to say, I mean, of course, there's amazing, wonderful, wealthy people out there as well, as we all know, you know, that's not to disparage wealth in general. Um, of course. Um, but yeah. So, um, yeah, these life experiences really create who we become. Um, and and I think that's really, really important. Do you um, what else can you share with us? Oh, I know we need to dive into sort of the mechanics of a little bit more so that we can learn more about how the microfinance works for you. Should we do that now? Sure. Yeah, you're you're well, I really just have a very superficial um, understanding about that. Would love to learn more. Yeah. So, I mean, microfinance, the term implies both microcredit, so microloans combined with education and training. Um, so with the microloans that we offer, it's not just for working capital so that women could start and grow businesses. Um, our average first time loan in Honduras is usually in the $200 to $300 loan, uh, range. Um, traditionally, that's a, um, a loan term of six to 10 months. For any of our agriculture related loans, that's usually 12 to 18 months, just because the return on investment takes longer. Um, we do offer additional loans that range from things like home improvement, for example, if they have a leaky roof. Um, a lot of the women that we work with are in uh, working in the informal uh, economy, and so a lot of them are working out of their homes. So we do have things like water and sanitation loans, uh, home improvement loans, as I mentioned. We also do education loans, meaning that any of our return borrowers if they have children and they're struggling to get their children to school, although school is free, there are other costs associated, such as, um, you know, books, uniform, transportation to get to school, materials, et cetera. So we had to do like $50 to $100 loans so that women can get their kids in school. Um, but the majority of the loans that we provide are, are for working capital so that women can, can start or grow loans. And our parameters are really, we do not permit, um, you know, our, our target is to, to help women who are um, vulnerable, that are underserved, um, that cannot get loans from a traditional banking institution. So, mm -hmm. for example, you know, the women we work with don't have collateral, they don't have a credit history. Um, so that, that, that's who we traditionally work with. Um, we also don't, we, we were, we often provide women with ongoing, so they may qualify for a $200 loan to start if they successfully repay that loan. Um, then they are qualified to borrow again, assuming that the purpose of the loan is still related to, um, you know, the activities that we that we um, are are willing to loan uh, lend for. Yeah, yeah, great. And you have a pretty big organization. You have staff in Honduras. How many people are there, and how does that work? Um, yeah, we have almost fifty Honduran staff. 
Uh, we traditionally serve anywhere from 4,000 to 8,000 women per year, depending on the size of our loan pool. Um, we were serving consistently 8,000 women for a few years until COVID hit. And now we're back mm -hmm. down to closer to 4,000 um, just because our loan pool did take quite a hit. Um, uh, wait, sorry, can you uh, ask the question again? No. Yeah, that's great. I was just asking about, you know, how big the organization is and oh. how many people that's perfect. Yep. And actually, I, I'm curious now, how many, how did COVID affect the program? Well, we had not just COVID, but um, shortly after COVID hit six months or so after um, we had two hurricanes that hit the country. Mm. Um, so on top of the struggles uh, associated with COVID and the fact that they were not getting um, the vaccine. They didn't get the vaccine in Honduras until much, much later than um, the U.S. and other industrialized countries. Um, so the, having that natural disaster hit was just um, devastating for, for a lot of the women we work with. Hundreds of women that we work with lost their homes. Um, much more um, suffered other types of um, uh, indirect consequences. So we did a lot of restructuring of loans, um, in some cases just um, forgiving loans entirely. Um, but that, of course, then meant that our, our loan pool was impacted. Um, last year, we were, uh, you know, kind of uh, closer to our, our previous years, but we, um, you know, even with a $1.6 million loan pool, we're, we're still, you know, with a six on an average six to 10 month loan term, we're still usually distributing on any given year. Last year it was $2.5 million in loans. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, it was, we were very concerned about being able to keep our doors open, but um, you know, we also gained a lot of the way our staff pivoted. Um, and when I say staff, there's like almost 50 staff and they're all Hondurans. I'm the only gringa that is a support, you know, kind of in the U S and writing grants and helping with outreach and um, connecting with donors and things like that. Um, I love doing things like this. I love presenting to, to groups and girl scouts or schools or, you know um, but yeah, there, there was a lot of, um, negative impacts, but at the same time, we were doing things like getting things online so that our well-being officers who regularly connect with the women were able to connect with them via phone. And we were starting to do some, um, it, it, it just kind of fast forwarded some of our tech pieces. We're very lucky to have a really strong tech team. Um, so the what we're able to gather in terms of information online um, and we even have like GPS that follows our, our well-being officers so that we can ensure that they're safe. Uh, but it also allows for um, greater ability to monitor and support. So, um, yeah, we, we yeah. It forced us to kind of get something and like our education pieces. Right. It helped us to like, OK, we need to get this information and in turn online modules so that the uh, borrowers of Adelante are able to. Um, gain access to this information without having to meet in person. Mm -hmm. So all those tools are, got ramped up. Um, do you have any stories that come to mind, like a success story of a loan that you can share something specific? Oh, sure. Yeah. When I go to visit Honduras, which is usually on a quarterly basis, I, I usually shadow a well-being officer for a day. And sometimes those are surprise visits. Sometimes they're scheduled visits. 
Um, yeah, we have a lot of women who have been successful. I've even met some women who were daughters of former borrowers, um, God, so that they, amazing. you know, learned about what their moms were able to do. And then they started their own enterprise. Um, yeah, I've seen different, you know, we have women that, that, that participate in a range of different types of activities. Some of them are in retail, some of them are in food or restaurants or, or meat preparation or make tortillas or have bakeries. Um, we have some that are, um, you know, work on farms or have small or own small farms. Um, but yeah, we, I, 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 there's, there's a couple of different, um, women that kind of, I, I, I regularly follow up with, but there was one that kind of stole my heart on my last visit where um, we were visiting her. She lives in an area outside of El Progreso, which is kind of in the, in the center of the country. And she had a, um, a used clothing store. So she would buy clothes or let people donate clothes. And then she would resell that. And uh, we, when we were visiting with the well-being officer, um, you know, we always ask a, certain questions about how the business is doing, how she and her family are doing. But when the well-being officer stepped out to take a phone call, I kind of just I looked at her and I said, well, how are you doing? Like, how are you not, you know, not not the business, but how are you doing? And she just welled up and she said, you know, I lost my twin sister less than six months ago and it's just been really hard. And, um, you know, I just we hugged and she just just. Given that the the norm, I mean, the seventy percent of the population live in poverty. Given the normal challenges associated with the lives of the women we work with, um, and you add like COVID and natural disasters and losing family members, and it just the fact she was just like, but what gets me up in the morning is this business. It gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me something to live for and be excited about. And oh, it just just so beautiful to see their, um, they're just such a source of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And what was her business? I think you said, but. Um, reselling used clothing. Oh yes, you did. Yeah, so yeah, she would great. do that from yeah. the, from her home, but she would also take the clothing to market. Um, and yeah, one of the loans that we had provided was so that she can purchase um, space at the market so that she could go to, to a Sunday at, you know, just so that she could increase her clientele. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You know, I'm just really struck by how big a difference you're making, you know, in the, the lives of all these people and it's local, you know, um, you're, you're in one place, this kind of work has to be local. And, and that's where you're making a difference. You know, sometimes we've got this kind of global view or this, um, you know, worldview where we try to make these statements about everything and everyone, but it's really not relevant for everyone. In the end, we all live someplace, right? We're all planted somewhere and our lives are different from people's lives in other places. Um, not to, and then you, you also tied in, of course, like 70% live in poverty. That's just one of those places um, like that. I know that um, in Guatemala, Friendship Bridge is an organization that's doing microloans. They're very similar to what you're doing um, in Honduras. So, you know, you have to be in certain places, right? Yeah. And we find that we don't even do any marketing. We just, um, everything is kind of word of mouth. We have um, five different branch offices located throughout the country. And we, we find that um, the model works good because 
by word of mouth, the borrowers that we're currently working with suggested to other people they know in their circles. Um, and so they automatically have a certain trust because they're being referred by our friend. But then we also have a certain volume of trust because we already have a relationship with the respective borrower who's recommending the other person. Um, so we find that, you know, we don't have um, necessarily the interest or e even ability to reach, you know, millions. It's more um, let's do this the right way and let's serve the women who um, we know really need it. And um, yeah. So if someone hears about it from their neighbor and they want to um, learn more, they go to one of these five locations and then meet with one of the well-being officers and then they, they apply. Can you share more about the process? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, they don't have to go to the branch office. So we have usually at any respective branch office, we have anywhere from four to six, seven well-being officers. And of the, those well-being officers, um, they're formally like a lot of people are more familiar with the term credit officer. Um, but because mm -hmm. our well-being officers in, are involved in so much more than just deciding and um, doling out funds and collecting funds, they really are are exist to have a relationship with those borrowers. Um, but any given well-being officer has a geographic kind of area that they're given and anywhere from 100 to 200 women, um, depending mm -hmm. on their um you know, capacity and their stage of development as an officer, <clears throat> excuse me, and at which point they are responsible for checking in with those women at least monthly. And that's mm -hmm. um, traditionally in person. So visiting them at their place of business and or home if that home is their place of business. Um, I have at this point, two years in, um, shadowed several different well-being officers over my visits and I, I'm just, it, they act like they're family. I mean, there's hugs, there's, you know, there's cajoling, there's joking, there's, hey, let me make you a little cup of tea or, you know, there's just um, a very familial um, type of relationship that I've witnessed between the well-being officers and the, and the, and the women we work with. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, and I know you already talked about the terms uh, six to 10 months or 12 to 18 for agriculture and that kind of thing. Um, so I, is there an opportunity for people to actually experience some of this? You have a, there's a, is there a travel program that you offer and is it open to the public? We do. We have a, we, we have to get the question, like, do you operate like Kiva? In fact, we've accepted funds from Kiva in the past and, um, you know, provided them with the information, photos, et cetera. Um, but when we get support from Kiva, that's in the form of a loan. So we much prefer to do grants um, just because then we can reap when with a 97% repayment rate that we have, we can reinvest those grants to serve more women going forward. Um, but yeah, we do what we call impact tours where um, typically like once a quarter, we'll provide either five to seven day trips that usually either start in San Pedro Sula or middle of the country and then um, kind of culminate in Roatan or vice versa. Um, Roatan's an island. We try to do a good combination of, you know, visiting clients, visiting offices, visiting the headquarters, um, but also, um, you know, make sure that there's some days of rest and fun and ex exploration. We have um, some beautiful locations that um, we have relationships with at hotels that are in the jungle. Then we have eco resorts. And so people will sometimes do things like hiking or going to waterfalls or swimming in the rivers or, 
uh, going horseback or any things like that. And um, we like to kind of end in Roatan because then if they want more than a day there, they can just add some additional days to their trip. Um, I'm personally going to be moving to the country in August for a year. So I also am trying to help people who may already have existing itineraries in Honduras, but then just add like a half day or a full day to accompany our well-being officers. Um, and in some cases with, with me. Um, and then we're also doing a pilot program in Rotan that we're hoping will start um, in the fall of this year. So that it, if for the people who don't want to take the ferry or a short flight, into the mainland, they can still um, kind of see some of the work that we do in progress. Great. So there's several different options, different lengths, kind of an average of five days or so, but then they can also do other options. And then do they have to speak Spanish? No, um, I'd say it's great if, you know, like for the trip I'm doing in June, for example, we have um, eight people. We like to do eight to 12 people, keep them small groups. Um, we have at least one person who's bilingual. Um, my Spanish, you know, I'm going to be accompanying this particular group, but there's also the option to, um, we have a partnership with Intrepid Travel. Um, so we also offer things through them and they have guides that are bilingual um, and, or if people are comfortable, um, you know, we're, we'll, we're willing to just say, Hey, you know, add one day to your itinerary. Um, if you have a bilingual speaker, great. Otherwise our staff, our Honduran staff are not bilingual. So um, we usually either work uh, either our company or we have like a third party um, that we can um, work with get, depends on the situation. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's awesome. I know it's so great if people are able to speak Spanish or even try out their Spanish, right. When they're there. Yeah. What kind of feedback have you heard from people who've gone on the trips? Um, you know, in the past, we've done a lot more um, kind of existing supporters um, and donors. Um, and so prior to my time, th these happened more frequently. And then, of course, when I started, it was COVID. So there, I haven't I haven't facilitated um, the one in June will be kind of the first one in a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I hear a variety. I think that most really enjoy getting to see the impact on these women's lives um, in person. Right. Like. We were just, for example, there um, with our board of directors and, and one of the places we visited was a beauty salon. Um, and you looking at this place, you're like, wow, this person looks like she's quite successful, you know, but it's taken her years to get to that point. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, some of the locations that we go to are, you know, dirt floor, pulperia, where they're making, they're selling, you know, kind of a variety of different products to the people in the community. And um, they're kind of barely making it, but they're, I find that sometimes even the people who live under such challenging conditions are often just so delighted, so appreciative to be where they are and having access to these opportunities. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, just seeing it in person just makes it, it just makes it more tangible, more real. You can ask questions that, um, you know, about the respective pieces and it just to be able to have that one-on-one -on -one directly with the borrowers is just a really a really neat and powerful experience so if they're already stakeholders it really deepens their experience and their knowledge and their commitment probably absolutely yeah mm -hmm. just seeing how how little can go so far <laughs> yes and trips like that are life-changing you know they really are i know you spoke about your trip to, um, to Cairo and that that was kind of one of the things that made you want to do this. 
Um, I think that it's so important to be exposed to other cultures in order to um, sort of broaden our perspective, right? Broadening yeah. our perspective is a more realistic view of the world, you know? Um, yeah, and I yeah. think also, um, you know, because, I mean, I've visited a lot of different types of humanitarian projects over my years of working in this industry. Um, but I think that because of the, the, I mean, microfinance by nature, right, is like you're empowering women to do something with funds that they already want to do. So the sense of like agency they already have over their own lives to see like how much pride they take in that. It's not like we're going in and saying, this is what you need to do and this is how mm -hmm. you should do it. And this is what like our money is required to be spent on. It's really, um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure to add that. Yeah, yeah, there, and that's really important to, as, as especially culturally, to not go in and say we're, you know, we happen to be Americans, but we're going to tell you how to do it. It's so important to not do that and to, you know, acknowledge what they already know. Um, and so you're empowering them to do, as you said, like their own dreams for the future. Yeah, I mean, really, if you look at, I mean, I think there's a there's a lot more attention these days to to um, white saviorism. And I think that there's a lot more people that already acknowledge that people that live in poverty truly have the talent, ingenuity, and strength to transform their lives if given the opportunity. So um, mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. and, and we've spoken a little bit about how the women are at the center. They have a voice. They are the ones who decide about these things. Yeah, we try to make sure, um, like we have a, we're very fortunate to have um, a team that has spent a lot of time and resources on making sure that we're doing a really good job of monitoring and evaluating, um, not only to course correct when we're not doing things well, but also to make sure that we continue to do things that we are doing well, um, or to, to pivot or improve um, when, when needed. Uh, but making sure that the women have a voice, um, that they're regularly connected with, asked the appropriate questions, uh, what's working, what's not working, um, allows us to kind of shift and ensure that we're, we're um, meeting the needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know statistically, I think one statistic we did not talk about yet is the extremely high payback rate of the loans. How, what do those look like? Yeah, we on the uh, over our 20 plus year history, we have an average of 97% repayment rate. That's astonishing. Can you have us what's what's the normal repayment rate? <laughs> Do you have any statistics to count? I, that you or? know, I don't have that off the top of my head. I don't know. I do know that commercial lending institutions worldwide, it's abysmal, the percentage um, that actually invest in women, and that's in, including industrialized nations. So um, they're just in order to address that gender gap um, and to ensure access to finances, not to mention financial literacy, um, there needs to be more organizations doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately and fortunately, microfinance has um, become so popular that there are a lot of organizations that are offering these services, but they are for profit. And sometimes yeah. it causes issues because like when we first started, we were one of the only organizations in Honduras. Um, now that now there are several, um, but unfortunately some of them have quite predatory lending practices. They could charge high interest rates. Um, there's fees. There's, there's major consequences if people um, don't pay on time. 
And um, so we do, we make sure to educate the women that we work with. Um, there are times where they will even borrow from ours and somewhere else. And that um, debt burden issue um, is, is, gets complicated fast. So we do um, a portion of our education training in, includes covering information like that so that they really understand what they're getting into. That just makes me frustrated, right? That there's, I mean, I've, I know that we live in a capitalist society and people can start their own for-profit company doing, you know, many, many different things, but the predatory lending in it's, it's bad enough here in the, in this country in a developed world, but for it to be help happening there as well is so frustrating to me. Um, it's just one of those issues that's, it's just not right. And I understand you're saying you, you know, you're teaching them about it so they don't get caught in something like that. Um, yeah. But, and I, I wish there were statistics to show how much migration happens, whether internally in the country or, you know, other countries as well versus outside of country. But, um, I do think, I mean, one of our goals is, you know, if, if you give women what they need to ha have a successful enterprise in their existence, most people don't want to move, right? So um, we do what we can to educate them on, you know, make sure that you're going with, you know, what's appropriate. And sometimes we have women who, you know, may take four or five, six um, plus loans over the course of several years. And at a certain point, they have then established credit history to then qualify for traditional mm -hmm. lending institutions, um, mm -hmm. in which case we're very, you know, supportive of that, um, as long as there are appropriate um, uh, interest rates uh, mm -hmm. in, in that situation. But there are definitely loan sharks and other microfinance institutions that um, do not necessarily have the interests of the women um, or, or, you know, people are living in poverty in general. Um, they don't have yeah. the best interest at heart. Yeah. Yeah. So what it, it occurred to me to ask where, is there a way to look up um, where these types of programs do not exist or, um, you know, if somebody wanted to get involved, could they go to the, you know, uh, Grameen Bank and, and look into that? Or is there a different place to find that out? Um, yeah, I mean, I, back in the day, I mean, we were able to get like Grameen Bank replicator status, meaning that we had sent several staff to get trained in their model. I don't know if they continue to offer that. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely um, microfinance resources available. Um, I know that we've even had people um, with organizations, small organizations in Honduras saying, hey, can you operate in our community? And um, for us, the way we currently were, we're, we're in the we're in process of expanding into three additional communities, but sometimes there's communities where, you know, we, it's too far from where our current operations are and the oversight is too challenging. Um, but we're always willing to kind of share information about what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned something earlier that I'd love to swing back to and go a little deeper. Um, you talked about, you know, the, there is a perception sometimes of this white savior coming in. Um, the white saviorism is a, is a thing and you're aware of it, of course. So what kind of things are you doing to sort of counter that or make sure that perception is not tied to what you're doing? Because you're not, you're the opposite of one of those predatory organizations as well. Yeah, we're set up so that we have um, a 501c3 in the U.S. that's governed by a board of directors um, that I work under the umbrella of. And then we have a locally registered 
Fundación Adelante, um, which is then the um, and all of the implementing um, activities. Um, so with the nearly 50 staff, et cetera, all of that is operated independently. We are kind of more of a, we help oversee and support, um, make sure that, you know, the funds that we raise go directly to that organization. Um, but yeah, it's kind of more like a partnership the way that we're, the way that we're structured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the legal status, which makes sense. Um, do you have any, you experience that ever on the ground, sort of like experiences where there's a pushback around the idea that you're going to come down and save us kind of thing? Or maybe you haven't had those experiences. No, in fact, when we visit the borrowers, we make a point of, we don't say, oh, these are people who have helped support, you know, the, the loan pool. Um, we don't actually want our borrowers to know that because then they think, oh, well, oh, if these yeah. rich white people are giving money to this organization, why do I have to pay it back? So there, it yeah. kind of messes with our model of empowering them. So we don't even kind of, we don't go into that. And I'd say the majority of, um, like we have a leadership team based in uh, La Ceiba, which is where our headquarters is located. So we um, twice a year get physically together, um, once in the U.S. and once in Honduras with our board of directors and the leadership team. And um, we just kind of hash out like what's 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 what are you guys having challenges with what, you know, they report on a number of uh, fiduciary issues. Um, we're very lucky to be a, a women serving organization run by women. The majority of our board are women and the majority of our leadership team in Honduras are women. Um, the general manager who oversees all of the um, operations in Honduras has been some, someone who um, started 12 years ago, Gabriela Puerto, and she um, started as an accountant. So she's very, uh, you know, financially savvy where we have a lot of confidence in her, you know, using um, the, the funds, funds judiciously. Uh, if anything, she's very cautious. Um, you know, we like to sometimes see more risk, um, but we understand and and always um, kind of defer to their expertise, knowledge on the ground. So there's a very um, wonderful um, and, and again, I, I would say familial relationship that tends that tends to. We have had some board members who've been on the board for since inception and then um, a lot that are newer, but um, there's, we're very fortunate to have a very well-qualified team, both um, paid staff locally, as well as has the people who serve on the Adelante board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Is there anything that surprised you as you've been doing this work? Surprised me, huh? Um, I can't say that I, there's anything that has been surprising per se. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or like a, a moment in time. I know we talked a little bit about some of this already, but um, was there a pivotal moment in time when you realized, and maybe this is back to Cairo or you're losing your father, right? A pivotal moment in time when you just like knew this was your life's work. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've been very fortunate to, you know, to have something that, um, I, that is purpose driven. Um, I, I know that not everyone has that in their life. I will have to say, I was surprised to learn of a statistic and I might've already shared this with you, but that, um, you know, I have some people who kind of 
or in my life that have said, gosh, you know, this is so amazing that you get to make this your life's work. And, and I always, am like, I, I know so many people that, um, are that, that support the organization or they're involved in some capacity. And I had heard a statistic that said like less than what we spend 5% of our time and resources on is often what we attribute to over the majority of our fulfillment and, and, and happiness. Mm -hmm. So, um, I always kind of like, yes, I'm very grateful to do the work I do, but I always tell people, you don't have to make this your life work in order to enjoy and appreciate and benefit from, um, you know, you can volunteer, you can get involved. There's, um, you know, whether it's with Adelante or other organizations, there's so many ways to plug in. I mean, of course, organizations like ours always appreciate and welcome um, financial support, but there's so many different ways to plug in. And although we may not be an organization where you, where it's like Habitat for Humanity and you can go and, you know, build a building, um, there's still a lot, so many different ways to, to plug in. And, and we recently started like an Allies of Adelante program where people could kind of choose from a menu, whether it's like a ad hoc or kind of regular thing. And um, we just think it's such a, an important way to, to connect with the bigger world that we live in. The menu is a ways that the people can support the organization. Yeah. Some of it's really basic and about raising awareness or just learning like um, the allies of Adelante. Like it's like um, a little packet. You can find it on our website, but essentially there's things like, Oh, okay. You know, if you have a book club, um, you know, choose this book and either myself or an, an Adelante board member can either meet in person or chime in over zoom or something. And, uh, make sure to help connect like some of the pieces of that book to the realities in, in places like Honduras. Um, sometimes it's um, so like, you know, that's more on the like just learning side of things. Um, yeah. We've had people who are like, Hey, I really want to do like a, a wine tasting or a tea tasting or something, you know, and um, but I want to, you know, but I want an organization to benefit from it. Can we, you know, there's all kinds of different, um, there's a slew of, of, of options that are, are right. in the, in the menu. <laughs> okay. For all of us book readers, what are a few books that you'd recommend? Oh gosh. Um, that's also listed in the packet. Um, half the sky is one I can remember off the top of my head. Are you yes, familiar Nicholas with that one? Christoph. I am Nicholas yeah. Christoph and his wife wrote that. Um, banking to the poor. Um, there's a, there's several. Yeah. Can you think of any fiction <laughs> that's, you know, just like relevant? Um, let me get back to you on that. I know, I know <laughs> that there are, I know that there are, yeah. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Like I love historical fiction, right? Like it's very, very specific and. Oh gosh. Yeah. Me too. So, um, I'm going to restate the statistic you just gave a few minutes ago, a minute ago, about about 5% of what we invest in or in for individuals actually is what we're most fulfilled by, right? That's so amazing. Um, it really sounds, uh, I think that's, that's right. Um, I work with a nonprofit in Panama that's a nature preserve, and they do education around what we can learn from nature. Um, and certainly uh, that I just get so much from my, my work with that organization, um, you know, going to Panama and being in the, in the jungle, similar, similar um, ecosystem to what you have in Honduras. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. Volunteering is a great way. I know that for us, we sometimes have like little, we have 
committees. Um, you know, like we often are in need of certain ad hoc things like support with social media or, um, so sometimes people like raise their hand to help with some very specific projects. So for the course of a month or a year, or, um, there's, there's great ways to plug into Adelante or other organizations that have a mission that you're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm also working with a nonprofit based here in Denver that works nationally called Global Minded, and we're connecting um, first generation and students from high school through to college into careers and helping with that whole pathway. You know, and, and we all have our reasons for doing the work that we're doing, right? It's, it's really amazing. Um, well, I love your work and I'm so excited about all this. Um, is there anything, I know you're, you said you're moving in, uh, in August for a year. What is something you've learned in Honduras or during this experience? And then I was also wondering, why is it just a year or do you think you might stay or like, what's that, what is it for you? Um, you know, personally, why are you going? Um, I'm doing a year because I have a daughter, an incoming seventh grader. And as you know, middle school is fraught with... <laughs> Um, so we just, I just felt like it was a really good timing. Um, we will be living in Rotan, which is an Island. I was, I'm really hoping that her Spanish will improve. Um, but because we'll be, um, adding this pilot program on the Island, I really wanted to be available to the well-being officer. We're not going to have a branch office there. We're going to do it as a satellite operation. So, um, I'm really looking forward to being available because even though you, um, for those of your listeners, you may have been there before, it, it has the um, most tourists see the the beautiful parts and the touristy, um, you know, the nice hotels, but there are just huge pockets of people who are living in poverty and suffering. So um, I'm really looking forward to um, serving the communities there that need it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered. I feel like you had a multi-pronged question, but hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was wondering, I, the other part was just, what have you learned by going to Honduras a lot? And then, um, yeah, so what have you learned? And also, how's your daughter going to do with all that? Is she going to love it? <laughs> going to be like, forget it, mom, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I actually bring her out usually for a couple of weeks in the summers when we've gone. So she's she's already done two longer trips. Um you know, she, I, I also have taken her on the well-being um, kind of trips where she's getting to like see how people live. And, you know, we always encourage people to bring their children because, you know, it's so easy to be myopic in, um, in, in our, our worldviews when we have such privilege um, in places like the U.S. But, you know, she's chasing their little ducks around or she's, you know, um, you know, she's commenting on like, wow, like they don't, they don't have a, a working toilet or they don't have, you know, <laughs> or these things that we take for granted. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, you know, she, she kind of knows what she's getting into. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, she'll be at a school where there's going to be kids from other countries in addition to Honduras. And, um, I was able to sweeten the deal by saying you can, um, foster some kitties, <laughs> oh awesome there's a local that's shelter amazing. on the island that we're gonna i'm sure volunteer with so yeah um, it's just, that's gonna be so life-changing for her right all of this i mean obviously you've already taken her there and she's she's learned, experiencing a lot but but to have the chance to live there um someday she's gonna be having this conversation and she's gonna say in seventh grade my mom <laughs> 
took me to live in Honduras and <sighs> it will be some pivot point for her, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. And, and in terms of things I've learned, I think I would say, you know, when financial literacy accompanies financial resources, um, people are much more likely to be successful. Right, right. It sounds so obvious, but actually it's financial education is not great everywhere, even here, right? Financial education is really a big gap in, in our in our world. Yeah, and I think that what happens is that, you know, we all know what we know and we what we we often know what we don't know and like can try to kind of bridge that. But there's this huge other area of like the things that we don't know that we don't know. So to have um, an organization like Adelante where that well-being officer's role is to help the women identify what they don't know that they don't know is super important. Yeah, it really is. Um, and that's a good thing for all of us to think about. What do I not know that I don't know, right? <laughs> Usually someone from the, usually someone in your life has to tell you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's a really important point for personal growth. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, I lost my train of thought there because I got all absorbed in that. <laughs> uh, well, I know that, you know, we've got a few more minutes here. If anyone has any questions, please do put them in the, in the chat wherever you're watching live. Uh, as you know, this recording will be up uh, on multiple platforms as well, so people can come back and add their comments at that time. Um, let's see, is there anything we actually did not talk about at all? Here's your website, adelantefoundation.org. And is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we covered? No, I just want to thank the listeners and to thank you. Um, you know, Her Many Voices is doing great work. Um, I think that there's, you know, a lot of, I, I, I feel like it's very easy for so many of us to get bogged down in, in the negativity. And, you know, anytime you listen to the news or watch the news, um, I feel very fortunate to be working in an industry where I'm surrounded by people who are uh, committed to solutions. And um, I just think that the more you surround yourself around, you know, don't, don't bury your head, head in the sand, but, um, you know, look at to the people in your life or organizations um, that are committed to solutions, because there's um, a lot of, a lot of great organizations doing really important work. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I will mention, and here's that thread I lost, but I found it again, that, um, her Many Voices also does financial literacy training. That's one of our programs that we do. Um, and so I just want to mention that as well and tie that in because I'm sure some people are going to listen to that and say, wait, point that out. Because it's, it, you know, we do do that. Um, and then how can people further engage with you? Is there a newsletter they can sign up for on your website? Um, you know, looking at the information about the trips, of course, but how else can they further engage? Yeah, um, you're welcome to reach out directly to me. Um, but yes, our website has a pretty extensive section on like ways to get involved. Um, I And I'm pretty confident that the Allies of Adelante information is also accessible through that portal. Um, um, but if you ever want, I, I, I spend a lot of time behind my computer. So I'm always up for a in-person or virtual, um, you know, chat, walk, whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm always um, happy to connect with people live. That is great to know. Um, I We have some really fun comments coming in here. Uh, here's one. Um, Gypsy Heart 
said, I love the book recommendations. Yes, me too. I'm always glad to ask that question. Um, Desiree wrote, what an inspiring, I forgot to mute my phone, obviously. What an inspiring <laughs> discussion. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so that's awesome as well. Well, we can't thank you enough, Jody, for coming on and sharing all the important work that you're doing and the part of your personal story as well. Um, and it's really inspiring for us to learn more about it. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And please share this with people. Uh, there's so many people who are going to love this message, the, the deeper dive on microfinance, um, you know, focusing on women and specifically the information about Honduras as well. Thank and you. we're directly, directly in alignment with everything we're doing at Hermity Voices, as you know. So thank you so much. Appreciate the time.